0: Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners a technique that is easily learnt and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynephimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Femister.
1: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the podcast show. It's really good to be here because today I have Dr. Nelson Hendler. Welcome, Dr. Hendler. Thank you for having me. So Dr. Hendler is formerly called Dr. Niels, so we'll maybe call Doc Niels. Doc Niels, Niels. Doc Niels. Doc Niels, there we go, the famous AOL. Um, username that you had in past times and maybe even modern day times. But anyway, let's go back in time because you've been in the the business since 1966 when you graduated. So give us a little bit of background history and what brings you forward to today to talk about pain solutions.
2: Well, after I graduated Princeton, I went to University of Maryland for medical school and, and also graduate school in neurophysiology and fascinated with neurochemistry and uh, eventually wound up doing my residency at Johns Hopkins Hospital in psychiatry. And while there, the chairman of neurosurgery, Don Long, wonderful fellow, wanted someone to work at the pain center with him. So I had not only a background, I had been doing research in neurosurgery up there. And then there was my graduate degree was in neurophysiology. So he thought I was ideally suited to come work at the pain center because As he said, he he and I were old hunting buddies, and he said to me one day, you know, Handler, you're pretty normal for a psychiatrist. (laughs) I I took that as one of my greatest compliments ever, but I I worked with him for 35 years. Wonderful teacher, wonderful person, and I learned so much from him. And so I got involved uh, in part because when I read the literature about chronic pain, I was appalled. It was garbage. The old trick was if the patient wasn't getting well, blame the patient, not the doctor. You know, it's all in your head was the routine. And so I'd be, I would send patients where I was told the pain's all in their head. And I talked to them and I found out the reason the patient is depressed and angry and furious is he's not getting well. He's not psychiatrically impaired. Getting depressed and angry is a normal response To chronic pain especially when you're not getting well and so from there i started evolving my own tests and my own diagnostic methods and we found when properly diagnosed we wound up sending 50 to 63 percent of the patients on for further surgery and one of the problems was that most doctors didn't know the specificity and sensitivity of the tests they used nor did they spend enough time taking a careful history from a patient. You know, I'm sure, Wayne, when you and I, and I know how classic and wonderful the training is in Scotland, and I went through the same kind of training, you know, at Hopkins and Maryland, we were drilled in our head, take a careful history, take a careful history. And I'd spend an hour and a half with a patient. Nowadays, I mean, my God, Kaiser Permanente finds the doctor if they spend more than 10 minutes with the patient, finds them you're spending too much time. And so what happens is you get a cursory history and then the doctor goes out and orders a test and he doesn't treat the patient. He treats the lab test. Well, a little bit of a problem with that. When you look at the research, uh, Jensen, New England Journal of Medicine reported that in 98 people with no back pain whatsoever, 28% had abnormal MRIs. On the other hand, Sandu up at Cornell looked at patients and found When they had horrible pain, but normal MRIs, 78% of the time the MRI was normal, but it was picked up by a provocative discogram. So the MRI has a false positive rate of 28% and a false negative rate of 78%. You could flip a coin and get a more accurate result statistically. You can see that. The 3D CAT scan, an article by Zinreich, Long, and Davis, they looked at CAT scans versus 3D CAT scans. And found that 56% of the time, a regular CAT scan would miss pathology picked up by a 3D CAT scan. And then my favorite is the one we just talked about before the show started, are the x-rays. You know, patients typically have worse pain when they lean forward or lean backwards. So I would see a patient and I'd say, "Eh, you know, what makes your pain worse? They say leaning forward or leaning backwards. And I say, great, let me see your x-rays, please. And they were always upright x rays. I'd say, well, do you have any pain when you hold your head upright or you're standing upright? No, Doc, only when I lean forward and lean backwards. <laughs> and they never had flexion extension x rays. So we're, we're not even talking medicine, we're talking common sense. And that leads to more and more misdiagnosis. As a matter of fact, there was an article in Wall Street Journal. The leading source of misdiagnosis was A, doctors not spending enough time with patients. And the ordering the wrong test. Well, that's it, it follows. If you don't spend enough time with the patient, you get the wrong diagnosis, you're going to order the wrong test.
1: Okay, so let's dive into this a little bit because you've mentioned a lot of information in the last five minutes. It really illustrates our audience's experience, I'm sure, who are going to the doctors with a chronic back pain or neck pain, and they get all these scans, MRI, CTs. And here you are saying, look, these specific MRIs are not accurate enough, whereas maybe other forms of MRIs are, or as you said, the normal CT is not accurate enough, but the 3D CT scan, which makes a bit more sense because we're you know three-dimensional people, we're not two-dimensional people, but please explain a little bit more detail, why is the better MRI scan picking up things and the regular one that all doctors are using, or I would say most doctors are using? Is missing it. It's not the quality of the MRI. It's a conceptual error.
2: Pain is a subjective experience, right? You can't measure pain. Yeah. All attempts to do that, with due respects to Ron Melzack, who he and I were the keynote speakers at the ninth Argentinian Congress on Pain. Rosario, Argentina, great guy, and he has the Melzack McGill pain questionnaire doesn't do anything. Torgerson, i mean, Wolf, to a wolf. You can't measure pain. With all due respects to very fine researchers, it's so subjective. And if pain is a subjective experience, what makes you think you can take a picture of pain? Hmm. So I'll give you an illustration. If I had an oven up on the wall and I took a picture of the oven and I handed you the picture and I said, Wayne, please look at the picture and tell me the oven is hot. What could you tell me? But if I put a thermometer in the oven and I handed you the thermometer that said 375, I said, tell me if the oven's hot, you could tell me. And that's the difference between an anatomical test and a physiological test. Right. And the intellectual disconnect is that doctors use anatomical tests to measure a physiological condition. It's like, having a problem with your carburetor and using a tire gauge. <laughs> You're using the wrong test to evaluate the problem. So you need to use physiological tests, facet blocks, root blocks, provocative discograms. Even EMG nerve conductions have a problem. You have to use a current perception threshold, bone scans, indium scans, gallium scans, flexion extension x-rays. And the list goes on and on and on. And I can list about 30 physiological tests which are much more reliable and address the issue of pain, much more so than the standard MRI, CAT scan, EMG, nerve conduction, and x-ray. Over 70% of the patients I saw, they came 47 states and eight foreign countries, 75% of my patients were from around the country, and they all had normal MRIs, normal CAT scans, normal x-rays, and normal EMG nerve conduction studies. Arrive with the diagnosis of psychosomatic pain or lumbar strain or cervical sprain or whiplash. Garbage. A sprain or a strain is a self limited disease that lasts no longer than 7.5 days with 2.5 days of bed rest. And if you have a, quote, lumbar strain, unquote, that's six months older or older, by definition, it's not a lumbar strain. All <laughs> right? Because it can only last three, maybe six weeks tops. So the trick is to then go ahead and take a careful history about what makes the pain better, what makes it worse, and the type of pain it is. It's very interesting. Ron Melzek was almost there. He was almost on the point because he would ask people to describe their pain. I don't think he really understood the significance of this description. Because you have three different types of pain nerve. You have A beta, A beta fibers, A delta fibers, and C fibers, and each one of them carry a different message of pain. Some is hot, some is cold, some is burning, some is spasm. So when you know the type of pain that it is, what makes it better, what makes it worse, And the most important thing is the location. In intimate detail, you have to describe the location of the pain. And you're getting closer and closer to a diagnosis.
1: Well, thank you for explaining that. And I was amazed you said 30 physiological tests. Now I've known, you know, some of those that you're describing are being used, you know, facet blocks and, you know, our pain doctors are using those, but traditionally we're just left with basic x-rays front and back, maybe side right. view with your CT and MRI. So. so
2: that's was was my description of the workup Familiar to you?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, we have a problem because in this system, because we are just going down this path of doing the same thing, like Einstein said it well, you know, if you expect different results and do the same thing, it's called insanity. It's okay. um, And you've done something about that, right? You've done something about that because you've gone on and developed an online system of yes. diagnosing Pain causes with a lot of accuracy. Yes,
2: uh, thank you for asking about that. Because so many patients were misdiagnosed 40 to 80% of the chronic pain patients and 35 to 70% of the headache patients, we developed, my colleagues and I at Hopkins developed a questionnaire that's available online at four different websites. I'll tell you about them later. But basically, we've published articles showing that if you answer the questions on this questionnaire, It's scored uh, by a program which I wrote, which is based on Bayesian analysis as opposed to Boolean logic. Okay, before your eyes glaze over and you say, what the hell is that? Let me give you an example. If you go out and you look at your car and you say, oh, do I have a flat tire? And if you use Boolean logic, yes, no branching diagrams, you will say, is my tire flat? Yes, no. If no, drive away. If yes, is, does it have a leaky valve stem? Yes, no. If yes, replace it. If no, does it have a cut sidewalk? Yes, no. Does it have a nail in the trick? Yes, no. You can see that the branching diagram, which is what all computer programmers use and all expert systems use using Boolean logic has two flaws with it. Every choice has a 50% chance of occurring. And there's no provision for multiple diagnoses. That's different than Bayesian logic. You come out and you look at your car and you say, damn, I got a flat tire. In my experience, I've had 23 flat tires. 19 of them have been due to a nail in the tread. Therefore, the most likely cause of this flat tire, 19 out of 23, is a nail in the tread. That's the first place I'm going to look and i repaired the nail on the tread but the tire is still flat now if you're using boolean logic you're stuck because you only had one option if you use bayesian analysis you say aha but two of the times i had a flat tire there was a leaky valve stem so now i replace the valve stem so it takes into account that you can have multiple etiologies for the same clinical manifestation of pain you have i would say i have a flat tire patient so if i have pain in my thumb and index finger, is it a C5, C6 disc? Is it radial nerve entrapment? Is it a component of thoracic outlet syndrome? Is it two out of the three, three out of the three? We don't know, because that same clinical symptom has multiple etiologies producing the same symptom. And that's a very important concept to bear in mind. Or as we used to say in medical school, you can have lice and fleas,
1: Okay, so I get the baseline logic. It makes a lot of sense, multiple causes, and you go for the one looking at the problem first. And you said 40 to 80% of chronic pain is being misdiagnosed. In fact, my fourth book says that very explicitly. Here we go. It says, everybody, why 40 to 80% of chronic pain patients are misdiagnosed and how to correct that.
2: Yeah, it's available from Nova Publishing. And it's gone worldwide. Uh, and the test I told you about, the diagnostic test, has 72 questions and 2,008 possible answers. And it asks all the questions a conscientious doctor should ask if he spent an hour with a patient. Now I'm going to ask your listeners, when was the last time a doctor spent an hour with you? I was on a radio talk show in Palm Springs and very attractive uh, talk show hostess. And I said, well, when was the last time a doctor spent an hour with you? And she said, when he took me to dinner. <laughs> a per- perfect answer. <laughs> so you really have to take a thorough and careful history and you'll get your diagnosis. The diagnostic paradigm I was telling you about, when you answer the questions, it gives diagnoses with a 96% correlation with diagnoses of Johns Hopkins Hospital doctors. And the headache questionnaire gives diagnoses with a 94% correlation with Hopkins doctor's diagnosis. So it's like getting a consult with Hopkins and you can do it over the internet. You know, In the days now of telemedicine, and especially with the COVID-19 virus, you don't wanna go into the doctor's office. So you can take this test online, get the results, and discuss it with your doctor.
1: Wow, so what's the link? To this yes,
2: uh, one is www.diagnosethepains.com and the other one is www.marylandclinicaldiagnostics.com and the other one is www.dmpdiagnostics.com and that's in eight languages. The last one is in eight languages, English, Spanish, French, Italian, Portuguese, Russian, German, Arabic...
1: Excellent. Let's go over those websites again. The first one was Diagnose.
2: Diagnose the pains plural.com. The other one is Maryland Clinical plural, dot plural.com. And the last one is DMP Diagnostics plural.com.
1: DNV Diagnostics.com.
2: And so the patient can really answer the questions online. It takes anywhere from half hour to an hour to complete the test, and within five minutes, we'll have an answer sent to them with a diagnosis. It took me seventeen years, seventeen years in reviewing ten thousand charts, retrospectively and prospectively testing it. So I don't think it's going to be easily duplicated.
1: <laughs> wow. Wow. It's just amazing, you know. I've been sitting here doing these interviews for a couple of years now, and many, many people have come on. We're talking about a lot of different subjects and how to help pain but you're blowing me away, especially the 10,000 charts. I think you, you get my attention because of anybody who's spent 10,000 charts, or 10 years, or 10,000 hours. Or
2: 17 years. <laughs>
1: 17 years doing a study to get data to prove something you know is true because you see it for years and years and years before that. And here we go, a very simple online tool to get that diagnosis so we can move forward. Well, I'm definitely going to check this out. It's, I'll make arrangements for you to take
2: one if you'd like.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I will. <laughs> I used to have chronic pain, not anymore. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for that. That's just so invaluable. And uh, you're leaving a legacy behind for us to, to utilize with this online world that we're so much into. And, and, and I think the future will definitely be online.
2: And uh, it's kind of you to say, but yes, you're right. The world of the teledoc is emerging.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that myself. It's upon us now. Forced into our space.
2: Well, certainly with this recent crisis, yes.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly.
2: Oh, one note on that, Wayne, I just want to make sure everybody knows. Do not take Motrin, ibuprofen, aspirin, or any other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Do not. And yes. you know I, why. You know why. You want to tell them, or should I tell
1: them? Yeah, you can tell them. I, I, I've sent out a link to everybody in my Facebook post. there was a study out of england
2: showing that i think it was 27 of the 27 patients who passed away had all taken motrin or ibuprofen and let's describe this a virus produces and reproduces at 97 degrees fahrenheit Uh, and when you get a chill when you get a virus and you get a chill that's the viremia that's the virus trying to lower the body temperature so it can reproduce within your body the fever that you get is the body's attempt to kill the virus. And so you get up to 102, 103, you're going to kill the virus. Well, people mistakenly go ahead and start taking antipyretic drugs, aspirin, anti-inflammatory drugs. And what you're doing is you're counteracting the very natural mechanism the body has to kill the virus. You no, know, sweat it out. Get in a hot shower. Uh, you know, <laughs> kill the virus. Get up to 103 and kill it so that's that's just a a word i'm sure you've uh, reported that to your listeners before
1: yeah it's something i became aware of recently so yeah put the message out but yeah thank you for bringing that up i know there's a little bit controversy around it but you know i I don't think there is controversy i think it's pretty straightforward it makes a lot of sense do you know if there's any you know in that theory with acetaminophen which you know is in the uk and australia is paracetamol but over here is tylenol is there any sort of link with that?
2: Aspirin has four mechanisms of action. Tylenol has three. It doesn't have any inflammatory process, but it's an antipyretic drug as well. Same concept. You're lowering the body temperature, and you don't want to do that.
1: It's very interesting. Okay, well, thanks for bringing that up. Just to wrap this up here, any final messages you want to give out to our audience tonight?
2: Yes. To my friends out there who have visited doctors, and showed up with normal MRIs, CAT scans, X-rays, and EMG neuroconduction studies, and the doctor tells you it's all in your head, don't listen, don't believe him, get out of his office, run, don't walk, (laughs) to your nearest competent physician. It's not all in your head. There's maybe one chance out of 6,000, there's a psychosomatic component. Either I'm a lousy psychiatrist, which some people would say, or I'm a better physician, but I have seen less than one case in 6,000 with psychosomatic pain. All the rest had a definable... Matter of fact, I published one article about fibromyalgia. You'll love this one. I was sent 38 patients diagnosed with fibromyalgia. 37 of the 38 did not meet the diagnostic criteria. And in those 37 patients, I found 133 other medical diagnoses that had been missed by the referring doctor. So, you know, and what they do, a the doctor is confronted with something he doesn't know. He either blames the patient or he trots out the what I call the disease du jour. <laughs> and fibromyalgia happened to be the, the, the new disease du jour. And so everybody had fibromyalgia.
1: Well, this is concerning words, to be honest, but I think real words and honest words, backed up with science, backed up with a lifetime of research and interest in the subject. And I just commend you for your commitment to our profession and making it a better place. And surely our intention is to leave it a better place than when we came in. So thank you so much, Nelson, for the very simple explanation of in-depth concepts and brought it to the forefront for our audience to kind of understand and Please, audience, listen to this again, look at the websites, and um, take the tests yourself and present this to your physician with an interest and a smile on your face, and you maybe even help them do what they need to do, <laughs> and is be a great doc, because they all are, but they've just been sidetracked with different reasons and purposes, as we know. So again, thanks from the bottom of my heart for what you've done, and thanks for coming on tonight.
2: Thank you for having me, Wayne. I appreciate it.